2 Timothy chapter four, we're gonna do verses one through four this morning. Here's what it says. Paul, speaking to Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and will wander off into myth. How good is that? How accurate is that, right? The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Let me welcome you to that time. <laughs> Amen? I mean, is that the culture we live in, right? Don't judge me. Don't disagree with me. Don't challenge me. Just confirm me and affirm me and celebrate me. And everybody gets to have their own truth and it's itching ears and it's clicking fingers. And here's the thing, we don't even have to do this for ourselves. Like there's now algorithms that will do this for us, right? So if you click on something on any website, you're gonna immediately be bombarded with more things just like that, which is great for like increasing screen time and selling products, but it's really bad for creating honest dialogue it's really bad for creating deeper thought and understanding. It's bad for doing the things that God has called us to do. And here's the result. We're living in a world of echo chambers, right? An echo chamber is when my beliefs or opinions are reinforced by repetition, free from rebuttal or challenge. Every post I look at, every blog I read, every podcast I listen to, it's just echoing back to me the things I already believe. That's an echo chamber. And that's where we live. We live in a culture of echo chambers. Like, just like Paul said, people have surrounded themselves with teachers who just affirm their itching ears. And it's not just cultural, like it's in the church too. We do this in church too. I have my favorite pastor or my favorite podcast person. I listen to that person and only that person and if they say something that challenges me or makes me uncomfortable, then I just find a new person, right? I mean, there's a lot of them out there. And we're still supposed to be careful because there are many speakers, but we are supposed to be diving into our word and investigating these things and not living in an echo chamber. Because when we allow ourselves to be sucked, when I allow myself to be sucked into this Christian echo chamber, like I miss the opportunity that God calls me to go deeper to walk through the confusing sections of scripture, to wrestle with difficult ideas, right? This book is truth, but it's not shallow. It's not an echo chamber. If I dive into it, it will continually challenge me. It will continually question me. It will continue forcing me to grow. It will continue telling me like, hey, have you thought about that? Because maybe that's not what you should be doing. And the problem with echo chambers is this, very quickly an echo chamber turns into a feedback loop. 
Okay, so do you guys know what a feedback loop is? We don't have them anymore because we have like a super expensive soundboard, but we used to back in Fruitdale, back in the good old days, right? If I was up here teaching and I got too close to the microphones, that horrible noise would come up like, Wah! you guys remember that one? Okay, I did it in first service. No one appreciated it, so I won't do it again. Um, here's what happens. I would say something into a microphone. It would get picked up and amplified by the amplifier. Then it's broadcast by the speakers the feedback loop becomes when my microphone picks it up again and then amplifies it again and then broadcasts and amplifies and broadcasts and retweets and regurgitates and amplifies and retweets. And pretty soon you have a feedback loop and it's nothing but loud noise. Like the overwhelming fear that ran through our society earlier in the year was, is, was a feedback loop. It was just... Fear, some truth, some maybe conjecture, whatever, but it just got amplified and regurgitated and amplified and regurgitated and amplified and regurgitated. And feedback loops are dangerous. And they're driving me crazy. Like, is this driving anyone else nuts? Like, sometimes I'm just like, I just can't, I can't turn on the radio. I can't look at the internet. Like, it's just noise. Overwhelming noise. The Bible says, yeah, I'm not surprised. That's what Paul says. I'm not surprised. I told you that was coming. So the question I have then is inside of that culture where we're stuck, we're not going to change, we're there, okay? How do I keep myself from becoming a person with itching ears? Or how do I keep myself from that? And number two, how do I share the gospel, the good news to a culture or a person who won't tolerate sound doctrine. How do I do that? How do I share the good news of the Bible with my college-age child or my mother or my daughter or my sister who just, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. They've accumulated for themselves people who just confirm and affirm and tell them that everything they're doing is fine. They don't want sound teaching. What, what, what am I supposed to do with that? Because I love them. I want to reach them. What do I do with that? And Paul gives us the answer here. Because what he says is this, he says, for the time is coming. For means, well, what for? It says verses one and two. Paul says, Timothy, some things you need to do because the time is coming when people won't listen. Well, the time is here that people aren't listening. So these things become even more important, don't they? There's four things I see in here. We'll start in verse one. Verse one says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. The first thing we have to do is this. Remember, we are going to be judged. We're gonna be judged. I know it's not a popular thing to say. That doesn't itch anybody's ears, but it's the truth. And the Bible says over and over again, we are going to be judged. What you do on this earth matters like a lot. And judgment in the Bible can be a little bit confusing, especially if you didn't grow up in church because the Bible actually speaks of two separate judgments. So let me unpack that for you for a second. The Bible speaks of two separate judgments. One of them is in Revelation 20 and it's called the great white throne. And it's typically what we think of when we think of judgment. It's where Jesus is going to judge everyone who's ever lived past and present and decide who gets to send eternity in paradise and who doesn't? 
And it's not gonna be about how many good works you did while on this earth. It's not this massive scale, right? Where all of your good stuff is piled up on this side and all of your bad stuff is piled up on this side. And as long as your good stuff outweighs your bad stuff, you get in. That's not the Bible. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's religion, right? We know this. If you've been around here for any length of time, you know this, but it's so pervasive in culture. I'm continually felt by the spirit to just unpack it again, right? This is what Romans 3.10 says. He says, there's none righteous, no, not one. This judgment isn't gonna be about how good you are. It's gonna be about who you worship, right? It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. That if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's about belief. And we have to remember this. I have to keep this constantly in front of me. And here's why. Because so often when it comes to speaking the truth of the gospel in this crazy world of feedback loops in our cancel culture, I'm afraid that you're going to judge me. Maybe you're going to think of me as a fundamentalist Christian. But what's really important is that you're going to be judged. That's much more important, isn't it? It should be. It should be. It's about what you believe. This great white throne judgment that's coming for all of us. And it's not to say that your actions don't matter, okay? Because in this judgment, our actions are going to be used as evidence of our belief. So let me give you an example. Okay, it'd be like a man walks up to the edge of like a 50 foot cliff and jumps off, okay? Falls all the way to the bottom, shatters his ankles, breaks both of his legs, it's a small town, so some local person comes out to interview him, and they're like, what were you thinking? Like, don't you believe in gravity? It's like, oh, no, no, I mean, I believe in gravity. I just thought, like, maybe I would float. Well, then you don't believe in gravity. No, no, I do, I do believe in gravity. No, obviously, you don't. Because your actions betray your beliefs. And that first throne, that first judgment, it's all about beliefs. Do you believe in the saving work that Jesus Christ did on the cross on your behalf? Do you believe that? If so, you spend eternity in paradise, amen? But there's a second judgment, and I think it's what Paul is actually talking about here. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And it's where our actions as Christians are going to be weighed and our eternal rewards are gonna be received. It's really unpacked best in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 14. And here's what it says. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each of us has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire." Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to heaven, but there's gonna be the second judgment where I gotta take everything that I've ever done on this earth and I gotta put it on a conveyor belt and I gotta run it through the fire and find out like what was worthwhile and what wasn't. And there's gonna be rewards. And what's really interesting to me is the Bible talks a lot about rewards. Like I did a little Google search for rewards. Boom, 100 verses, like immediately. And that was without them bothering to go to the Old Testament. 
Like, there's a lot about rewards in the Bible, which is interesting because growing up in church, I've always thought that my only motivation for obedience is, is love. Like I love what Jesus did for me, therefore I'm going to be obedient. And the Bible teaches that. But it also throws out this whole thing about rewards because well, one, rewards are real. And two, sometimes the Bible knows I need a little bit more motivation, right? Like my daughter should clean her room because she loves me, but the allowance helps. It does, you know? But what are rewards and what does thinking about rewards from heaven have to do with a feedback loop and an echo chamber? Like what, how do those, what's the relationship there? Like where, where are we going with this? See, if you have spent any time on stage with a microphone, if a feedback loop starts, the first thing they tell you is you need to step back. You need to get away from the microphone. You need to get away from the speakers because that's what's creating the loop. That's what's amplifying it. And when I come into life with this constant idea of future rewards and what I do matters and my time is really valuable, it really makes me just think about things differently. I just think about things differently. So do you guys remember in March of this last year, everyone got a stimulus check, right? 1,200 bucks, it's gonna fix everything, yay, right? If you'd taken that $1,200 stimulus check and you had at that time invested it in Tesla, you would now have $10,897. If you'd invested it in Bitcoin, you'd have $13,400. If you'd put it into GameStop <laughs> and got out when you should have, $74,000. Maybe the best investment we could have possibly done with it if we didn't need it was give it to someone who did. I know a lot of people did that. That's thinking about the rewards differently. Right, so Matt's sick, that's why I'm teaching. So I got the email uh, Friday afternoon and I'm like, there goes my Saturday. And it's gonna be sunny too. But I'd already been studying this passage and I really felt convicted by the spirit. God was like, I'm not asking you to give up your Saturday. Like I'm giving you an opportunity to invest it. And I don't think like that normally. I don't think like that enough. Maybe that challenge God's calling you to outside of your comfort zone, outside of your normal circle. Maybe that person he wants you to pour into, maybe that thing he wants you to give. Maybe it's the investment opportunity of a lifetime. It's GameStop squared, you know? Jesus tells this really important story in Luke chapter 12. Just let me read it for you. It's really, really important and it's really telling and convicting and good as all of Jesus's words are. He says this, the land of a rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax and eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The largest new construction project in Grants Pass right now is a storage facility. 
It went up on I-5. I just, I wonder sometimes. I wonder sometimes as I walk through my garage, as I look the way that I sit on my time, if God would look at me and be like, fool. Like you're my fool and I love you, but you're missing out. Because every time I've called you to step out of your comfort zone, what it's been is an investment opportunity. And too often you've chosen something else. Too often I choose something else. And here's why this matters. Well, it matters because of eternal rewards and we're gonna have them forever. But also because the louder the noise of culture echo chambers get, the louder these feedback loops get, the more my actions are going to be what matters. I'm not going to be able to speak to people with itching ears. They're going to have to look at the way that I live and the example that I am of Jesus, and that's what's gonna matter. I have to do what Jesus said. Jesus said, hey, I'm about my father's business. That's what I'm about on this life. I'm about my father's business. And it was so different that people just flocked to him, right? That's the first thing we have to do. We have to remember that everything we do is going to be judged. And then Paul goes on to verse two, because verse two comes after verse one, typically. You know, it's good, it's good that way. He says this, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. So we can remember that we're gonna be judged, but number two is this, preach the word, the Bible, what this book says. So there's this little church that I drive by on my way home. It's got one of those message boards out front and they're always putting like witty little pithy sayings on it and it drives me absolutely crazy. So I have a few of them for you, right? No bungee cords, we encourage leaps of faith. Seriously? Jesus is a master mechanic. Let him fix your life. Call on God. He'll never send you to voicemail. My favorite one was this. God saw you do that. I was like, dang it. He did, didn't he? But every time I drive by, I want to go in and I want to grab whoever it is who's putting up those bulletin boards and be like, just put verses up. Don't try to make them witty or pithy or tickle itching ears. Just put up the word of God. Just preach the Bible. We don't have to make it relevant. We don't have to soften it. We just have to preach it because it's so different than culture. It'll break down every echo chamber. I mean, look at what the Bible says about itself in Hebrews chapter four. The Bible says about itself, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Preach the word. Just preach the Bible. The greatest thing about preaching the Bible is someone will come up to me and be like, how could you say that? I'm like, I didn't say it. The Bible did. It absolves me from responsibility, right? And we're not supposed to use it as a weapon, but we're also not supposed to soften it because all too often I wanna soften it, right? Because what was my first point? Don't, remember, don't forget, God's going to judge you. That's not a very popular statement, is it? Right? And even when I was preparing this message, I had some other ones in mind. Like I went with, be mindful of your future. It's a little softer. It's a little easier to stomach, right? Or make good investments. I had that on my outline at one point in time. 
And then I was working on this point. I'm like, no, preach the word. The Bible says you're gonna be judged. I'm sorry. That's what it says. And that's what we preach, what the Bible says. And preaching the word does not mean getting up on stage like what I'm doing right now. What this means is to publicly proclaim God's word. But it does have a lot of overlap with what I'm doing up here right now. Because people will ask me often, um, like, dude, how do you do that? Because I don't have a seminary degree. Like I went to one year of college. I'm a blue collar dude. Like, how do you get up and teach the Bible? And I'm always like, it's just a lot of, it's a lot of grace, amen. But it's a lot of study. It's a lot of study. What's funny is that's not actually what they're asking. What they're asking is like, how do you get up in front of that many people and not freak out? And it's, it's easy. It's like, I just picture you all in your underwear, right? It's the oldest trick in the book. No, I don't. I picture you in clown costumes. <laughs> it's much less scary. Um, <laughs> it's study. If you're going to preach the word like we're called to do, you have to study the word because my outputs will always reflect my inputs. And the more I'm in my Bible and the more I'm studying, the more the Bible just comes out of my mouth. And I study and I preach and I study and I preach and I don't do it up here. I do it in every conversation I have. I'm not saying I do that. I'm saying that's what I want to do. I think one of the reasons that God has called me to do this on a regular basis is it forces me to be in my word. And man, when I'm preparing for a message, like yesterday, I didn't hear any social cultural echoes or feedback loops. I didn't have time for it. I was just in this book, right? And so it comes out of us. And it helps us spot falsities too. So I used this illustration a few weeks ago, but I just love it so much. When they're training new bank tellers to identify fake bills, they do not bring out a bunch of fake bills and have them look through them and be like, okay, well, this is how this one's fake and this is how this one's fake and this is, here's what they do. They give the tellers hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of real bills. Just count these over and over and over and over again. Because once you felt 100,000, $100 bills and a fake one comes along, you're like, wait a minute, something's wrong with that. And when I'm in my word, when I'm studying the Bible, when I'm about God things and these false things from culture come through, I'm like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Something doesn't seem right. Or something itches my ear or I get into my own feedback loop or I get a picture into someone else's echo chamber as it were. The first thing I do is I go, wait, what is, what is the word? What does the Bible say about that? It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It judges the attitudes and thoughts of the hearts. And I know that like some of us, because we've all been there, are like, okay, that's great, but I don't know how to study the Bible. Like I read the Bible and I'm like, I have no idea what that just said, okay? Well, don't start in Leviticus for, for starters, right? Get there later. But let me give you a suggestion. First off, pick a book. May I suggest John Ephesians or James, if you're not a Bible student currently, those are fantastic. I loop back to them often. And then here's the thing, for the next month or two, if you're in John, because it's longer, just read that book over and over and over again. And you will be amazed what God shows you. When I'm teaching through a passage, when I'm studying, I'll read the same chapter every day for two, three weeks. 
I'll read that same book four or five times if I'm gonna teach through a small epistle. And I cannot tell you how much God has showed me the 10th, 11th, 12th, 14th time I've been through something. It's okay if you don't understand it the first time. Just continue to study it, continue to read it, and watch and see if God doesn't, at points during your week, just, whoa, wait, scripture just came out of my mouth. Like, that was the precept, that was the thing I've been reading and understanding, and I just, I just preached the word. And it's so counterculture that it stands out. Okay, so that's, that's number two. We remember that we're gonna be judged. We preach the word, not our opinions, not our pithy little funny, the word. But then now we come to, the, to verse two, the second half, and it, it's this really interesting point because he says, after you preach the word, there's going to be people in your life that you desire a change for them. Because here's what it says. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Reprove is this, to expose what is wrong. Rebuke is this, to strongly oppose a current action. Hey, the way you're thinking is not right. Hey, what you're doing, not good. And exhort is to point in an appropriate direction. Do this instead. But isn't that the problem? Like, how do you do that in a culture that only wants to hear things that tickle their ears? No one wants you to oppose their actions or expose what's wrong. But the key is given here and it says this, you do that with complete patience and teaching. And those are our final two points, it's patience and teaching. And we're gonna start with teaching. And what this really means here, the inference is with complete knowledge or understanding. Like when a teacher would teach a subject and they have complete knowledge and understanding of that subject, it's the understanding that allows them to teach. Basically this, if I'm going to reprove, rebuke, or exhort you, then I better know what I'm talking about or you're gonna call me out, right? Have you ever tried to do something like halfway or like slide something by someone or just not be fully committed and they just called you out? Okay, so my five-year-old did it to me the other day, right? <laughs> So my five-year-old is uh, precocious, which is, uh, she's awesome, but she's saving up money for some stuff and she'd done a bunch of chores around the house. She'd been working hard and she earned $5, which is a lot for her. But I didn't have a $5 bill and I didn't have a bunch of ones and I didn't want to give her like a whole stack of quarters and dimes because that's just mean. So, but she's like, daddy, you might forget. And she's super smart. All parents think their kids are super smart, but I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna take this opportunity and I'm gonna teach you about collateral. She's like, what's collateral? I'm like, collateral is this. I'm going to give you something that is more valuable than the $5 that I owe you. And if I don't remember to give you the $5, you get to keep it. And if, but I will really want to remember because I want it back. And she's like, oh, okay, that's a good idea. So we go to my bedroom and I've got the top drawer of my dresser and there's a whole bunch of gift cards in there that I just haven't used that have been stacking up. And I found one for $25 to Baskin Robbins, right? That like, I think maybe her grandparent or someone had sent us a while ago, whatever. So I, I pull it out and I go, oh, sweetie, forgetting that my, my daughter has a ridiculous memory. I go, sweetie, this is a $25 gift certificate to Baskin and Robbins. And she goes, daddy, that's already mine. You can't give me something that's already mine for collateral. <laughs> Busted. 
just busted. <laughs> like, dang, man, you're a smart kid. If I'm going to reprove, rebuke, or exhort you, then I have to do it with complete understanding, and I better know exactly what I'm talking about. And I think right now that the transgender conversation that's going on in our country is a prime example of this. So bear with me, okay? But in the past year, I've had two separate people I know personally affected by this issue. And I realized that I don't actually have any understanding about issues surrounding transgender. I have opinions, strong opinions, but I realized that those opinions were generated by my echo chamber and not by my understanding and not by God's word. Does that make sense? So I decided I needed to get educated. I need to understanding. And I found some great resources. If this is something that's affected your life, may I recommend a book by a guy named Preston Sprinkle? Sprinkle's easy to remember. He runs the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. It's phenomenal and it's so well balanced. But what I realized when I started studying, because I read other stuff, not just him, right? I don't want an echo chamber. We got to spread this out. It's like, I didn't understand gender dysphoria or transgender. I didn't understand that transgender issues are almost never sexual. I didn't understand or have a concept of like the vast range of backstories and motivations that are driving this discussion. And here's the thing. If I had tried to enter into a dialogue with someone struggling in that area, if I wanted to repu reprove, rebuke, or exhort them, and I enter into that conversation without any understanding, I'm gonna get called out. I'm just gonna get called out. And if this is something that's affected your life or will affect your life, then my recommendation is get educated and then ask questions. Because here's what we need. We need both situational understanding. I needed some general understanding about like, what is going on here? What are the issues? What's, what's the backstory? What's the Bible say? The word, right? Not just my echo chamber. And then also personal understanding. What's your particular experience in this area? What's going on in your life? That's how Jesus dealt with people, isn't it? That's what he does with the woman at the well. Hey, tell me your story. What's going on? Whenever I feel like God's calling me to be the voice of exhortation or reproof or even rebuke, I really need understanding. And there's a lot of things, this always comes up with issues that don't affect me personally, right? Like maybe you've got a family member who's caught in the cycle of addiction. Do you understand addiction? Because all too often, I just think of it as weakness and moral failing. But there's a lot there. There's a lot of interesting things that could be understood. Maybe someone struggles with same-sex attraction. Like, have you tried to understand that outside of the echo chamber of what you've always heard? How about depression? How about post-traumatic stress disorder? And here's the thing that's really important, because hear me in this. I'm not saying that your opinion of this struggle will change. And I'm not saying that a lot of what's going on there isn't deeply spiritual, isn't deeply from our enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And I'm definitely not saying that we shouldn't call a sin a sin. And often understanding does not change my original outlook. Often. But it almost always gives me more empathy. It almost always helps me be more like Jesus. Who asks questions and listen to answers. Right? Jesus did not shy away from condemning sin, but he front-loaded acceptance. I've been thinking about this a lot lately because we have a lot of broken people in the world and the world is continuing to break people, isn't it? 
Every broken person has a story. Every broken person is loved by our Father. And every broken person needs the good news of Jesus. And if we're gonna have a voice in their life, then what I need to do is I need to combine the imperative we've been given to preach the word with the directive we have over here to have understanding. When I can combine those two, that's when I can have a voice in someone's life. And I combine those two with the last ingredient, which is absolutely key, and it's patience. I have to combine those two with patience. Everyone knows someone who has one of those super testimonies, right? Like Paul has the super testimony where he's going along, killing Christians, and then he meets with the Lord and suddenly he's preaching the Bible, right? Like I have a cousin, uh, Michael, who he came down for, my, for a high school camp when he was like a junior in high school and he was smoking pot in my parents' attic and you know, he, was, he was on his track to prison, he would tell you that. Got saved at camp and two years later, he's a missionary in India and has been for 25 years. Amen, right? God can and does do that. But more often, it happens slowly. More often, it's a process. And the more I've read people's stories and the more I've looked into this and the more I've studied, the common denominator in life change seems to be having someone who will walk diligently alongside of you with patience. And it's not just for pastors, right? Because we think like someone comes to you and they're like, oh, I'm going through this really broken thing in my life. And you're like, oh, well, you need to go talk to a pastor. Maybe they need to talk to you because these things take a long time. They take patience. I love how King James actually translates this word. It's called long suffering. I think that's a better translation. Am I willing to suffer long with you? Am I willing to understand you? Am I willing to walk with you a long way with patience? That's what's going to get through to people with itching ears. It's the only thing. Because here's the deal. This cancel culture that we live in, it knows nothing of long suffering. It knows nothing of patience. Walking with someone, even though they disagree with you, walking with someone in love, walking with someone for a long time, even though it hurts you, is so counterculture that it's a bright, bright light. I think it's the only way we get through to people in this echo chamber that has been created. Right? So here's what we got. Evaluate where you're putting your time, your energy, and your money. Study and proclaim the truth of the Bible. And walk with people in long-suffering and understanding. Easy, right? That's, yeah, great. It's really, really, really hard. It's really hard. And we cannot do it without help. And we're not gonna do it without mistakes. That's one of the reasons we come to the table. Because it reminds us that we have help. Right? Further on in this chapter, Paul says this interesting thing. He says, he said, I fought the good fight. And I was thinking about Paul. Did Paul men win many fights? Like Paul got beat up, didn't he? Like as a boxer, Paul would be like 0 and 10. Like he just, he got beat up. But he kept getting up again. And he kept walking back. And he kept pursuing people. I had this friend send me a text the other day and they're, they're trying to do this. They're trying to walk out 
patiently and long-suffering with understanding with this young lady who's been brought into their life, and, but some, it's been tough lately. And she just sent me this text and she's like, I'm never gonna stop fighting, but it's getting bloody. I was like, yeah, and it's gonna. Luckily, thankfully, we have someone who understands that. We have someone who got bloody on our behalf and conquered sin and death. And they're like, I'll walk with you with that. I'll help pick you up again. I love that person and I wanna love that person through you and bring them truth through you. And we can do this thing together and I'll help you. That's what we get to remember every time we come to the table. That Jesus is long suffering with us. That Jesus is patient with us. And Jesus is here to help us be long suffering and patient with others, amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can remember that you're in heaven preparing a place for us, but you're not absent. That you're here for help in time of need. So be with us this day. Strengthen us, encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I thank you that you fought for us. That you got bloody for us. That you gave your life for us. I'm so blessed by that. I'm so thankful for that. Remind me of that this day. Help me to show that type of love to others. Let's drink together. So like we do every Sunday here, after service, there'll be prayer available. Like these are some tough things, some tough topics. We live in a tough time and a tough culture. We've got an amazing calling, Jesus says. Make disciples, preach the word. That's hard. We need prayer. Come up, get prayer. Get prayer for your loved one that you're walking through this with. These people want to pray with you. It's an investment opportunity for both of you. And we have baptism. Man, God's gonna judge us someday. Like, I can't say it any other way. I'm not allowed to say it any other way. That's what the Bible says. You're going to be judged. If you've not put your faith in Jesus, if you've not accepted him, that's a scary thing. But it's available today. Belief in what he did for us. Come up here, get prayer for that. Yeah, and then if you want to afterwards, we'll baptize you. Right? Baptism doesn't save you, but it's, it's walking that belief out. It's the physical evidence of your belief. Hey, I believe gravity's real. Like, I'm doing this thing. It's available. It's available this day. If you're doing well, God be with you. God is gonna bring someone into your life today, tomorrow, next year, who we need to walk with in understanding and long suffering. And each and every one of us is called for that. And he, he'll equip us for it. And so I pray that when that time comes, we'll recognize it. We'll take the opportunity. We'll invest in those people. And we'll seek help when we need it, because we will. Amen? Amen. Thank you, guys.